Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granary, professor of history at the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and podcast editor of The War Room. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Welcome back to our conversation with John Roderick, who participated in the Army War College's 2022 National Security Seminar. John is an experienced musician, writer, and podcaster. In part one of our discussion, we covered John's experiences during NSS Week. The second half of our conversation turns to his experience as a podcaster, his own history as a podcast host, and what lessons his experiences can offer for podcast hosts and podcast listeners. I have a self-interested transition here, and that is, since we're talking about reaching out to audiences, right? I haven't asked Dean Kaplan directly if he put you in my seminar because he wanted me to meet a real grown-up podcaster. But but I do want to talk to somebody um, and about this issue about about reaching audiences and about podcasting. And I know that you were a musician first, um, and so I'm very curious, right? How you decided to get into podcasting as a way to reach larger audiences, and what you know what what led you to do this, and and how do you conceive of the ro- the place of podcasts in the sort of larger uh, entertainment slash information ecosystem. Well, I did w- when I was a rock musician in the 1990s, mm-hmm. if you wanted, uh, if you wanted your voice out in the public mm-hmm. sphere, uh, you put out a mm-hmm. record and then you, uh, you hoped that, you know, someone from the riverfront times in St. Louis would interview you before your big rock concert right. there. And you'd try to get as much into it as you could, and then you'd open up the the uh, the article and realize that you'd been, uh, you know, misquoted or or you know you you talked to them for forty five minutes and it was a it was a one page review of your show right. you know all this stuff or I'm sorry a one, one paragraph, paragraph review, review where they show. where they get the title of your album wrong. <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, the show is pretty good. You know, I was like, I talked to you for forty minutes. Um. And so I wasn't the first generation of podcaster, mm-hmm. which is to say those people that, you know, right at the dawn when nobody had heard of it. But I was early second generation mm-hmm. where uh, podcasting was starting to um, starting to find an audience. And I, w- I, I was so excited to just have an opportunity to speak for mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I was already, a, if, if not a celebrity, a minor celebrity. And, um, and yet here I could really just say what was on my, speak extemporaneously, uh, and built a following and almost immediately 2000, I started in 2011 by 2012, people were saying, ah, podcasting's over. (laughs) Um, you know, all the good ones are taken and, you know, and it was at a time when the culture thought that video Mm. YouTube was Mm -hmm. on the rise. Video was what everybody wanted. Um, but it turned out that video is not what everybody wants. People like to 
listen to a conversation. Yeah, they really do. And, and they want to do it while they're doing other things. You know, they want to keep their hands going. They want to be, even if it's doing the dishes or on a commute. Right. And I've watched podcasting just get bigger and bigger. And I don't think that it's reached saturation by any means. I think more people are learning about podcasting every day because it's just the most natural thing right. in the world. Uh, and the, and in my opinion, the less edited, the best. Is that right? So you, you like the idea of turn on the microphone, have two, have two people or a group of people start talking about a, to a topic that interests them. Let it rip. I do. I do. And I think a lot of it is that, you know, most, most grown people in their youth, they have a group of friends there in high school and then in college, if they go to college or wherever in their early life, they're social, uh, to the degree they're social. We were talking and about nerds as you get, <laughs> yeah, that's right. To, you know, or even if it's just, uh, if, even if it's just texting within the context of world of Warcraft, no. But, but I think a lot of people, their most social time is when they're mm -hmm. young. And then they transition to a work life. And all of a sudden they find that, you know, their friends are not, they're not picking their friends. They're, they're thrown together with people that maybe they have nothing in common right. with. And with a podcast, you can get, you can recapture some of that feeling of like, this is the room I either used to be in or wish I were in. These are the conversations that I feel a part of. And, um, and it's validating, mm -hmm. I think for, for listeners. When you do your uh, podcasts, are they mostly one-on-one -on -one conversations? I mean, I, we, I, I liked how you started out by talking about the, the beauty of a podcast was the idea that you could offer a kind of monologue uh, to, to your audience or to get ideas out before you start bringing other people in. Um, uh, I don't want to scare Buck, my uh, the managing editor, by suggesting that I'll start <laughs> delivering monologues on this program. But the um, but do you do do you mostly do conversations one on one, or do you do groups? How do you usually do it these days? No, I think the uh, for me at least, I mean, I have an interlocutor in in both mm -hmm. of my uh, other both of my shows. Really, it's just me in conversation with someone who um, who has a, a very different way of thinking and speaking than mm -hmm. I do. Like Omnibus is co-hosted with Ken Jennings, the host right. of Jeopardy. And Ken is extremely smart, uh, but he is, he doesn't think in mm -hmm. stories. He thinks in facts and details and, and um, anecdote, but also pun. I mean, he, he has all of this, this uh, acuity, but it, none of it overlaps mm -hmm. with mine. Mm -hmm. I'm a storyteller and a singer and a, just a sort of Welshman who la ba da ba da ba da ba da. And the, the, uh, the conversation then goes and, tra you know, traipses off, right? It, the, it's the conversation that's right. the point. And my co-host of Roderick on the Line, Merlin Mann, is a, is a San Francisco kind of tech writer and pundit. But Merlin is a polymath and also, you know, someone with attention deficit disorder. So our conversations, you know, lurch and real, which is, you know, the best conversation. Sure. Do you, um, in either of those programs, do you show up with a list of topics and see where you go from there? Or do you just uh, turn on the mic and start talking? 
So with Ken, our show is is premised on the idea that there's this hard line before the internet. Mm-hmm. If you if a, if you wanted information recorded, it was in a book, and those books right now are moldering on shelves. Post internet, the most you know callow teenager has. 10,000 photographs a year of themselves, everything they ever did, every thought they ever had. And if we fast forward to 500 years from now, historians looking back are going to see this bright line where there was extremely limited data. And then all of a sudden there was, there was so much data, it was unprocessable. And so what Ken and I are, our conceit is that we're trying to go and find things uh, prior to this bright line that probably won't make it into, <laughs> you know, like the, the historians of 500 years ago are going to know about the Rolling Stones, but are they going to know about the Trogs? Ooh. Maybe not. Love and is all around it's us. It's not a pop John, culture. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Right. And so there's all this stuff. I mean, I think about my own father who fought in World War II, who was a, a a legislator in Washington who worked for Kennedy, mm-hmm. but his entire life uh, was sort of summated in his obituary. Mm-hmm. And other than his obituary, very little of his life lives online. And so even my own grandkids will go, oh, my grandfather, who was he? Well, he's not online. So he might as well have lived in 1500. Right, because because they're not going to. You know, this it's funny. I think about this as a. You know, I'm a historian, so of course you're 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 tickling very important uh, elements here. But but I'm a historian of the 20th century, and um and so this is a period where we already deal with you know, vast amounts of information. Um, and I had a, well, one of my first uh, teaching jobs, a really great job uh, at a, at a small college in South Carolina. I had a very smart colleague who was a classical historian. And I was in his office once, and he he jokingly he he, re, he gestured towards one shelf over over in his office. As you know, Ron, right there are all of the existing printed sources on my area of research. You know, and so my work right. is trying to sort of tease greater meaning out of what's in these texts. Because I, I I was talking about I just come back from like going to the National Archives, and I had this big stack of photocopies of 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 documents, and he's like, man, I don't know what I would do. Um, and, and it is true, right? The, the, there's more and more information and less and less sense we can make out of it. I tell my students, right, to think about the difference between the past, which is everything that happened, and history, which is a series of curated efforts by people to make sense of the past, because you can't talk about everything. And it gets harder and harder to feel confident about the choices that you know that you have to make if you know that you're leaving out a whole lot of stuff. Um, and this is an, an ongoing yeah, problem. Yeah, it was... It was one of the interesting things about Snapchat mm. when it first mm-hmm. arrived. The, the premise of Snapchat was that everything on there went away right. after a half an hour. This was the idea of behind 4chan, too. All of the before 4chan became a cesspool, mm-hmm. uh, everything dropped off after an hour. There was no record. Right. And it was a conscious kind of un, uh, uh, remaking of the idea that we need to record and preserve everything. Some things we do. Um, but you know, I my grandfather fought in World War One, and and despite that being well recorded, 
I have no real idea what engagements he right. he. Fought. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you could um, theoretically find that if, if you were able to identify his specific unit, and if you were able to then find the records of that unit, which exist somewhere, then you would be able maybe to figure out you know what they were doing on given days, but. You know, that's not something you, you know, that, that would require a, a, a dedication to digging out the facts that, that to a, to a, a teenager today, let alone a teenager in 200 years would be the equivalent of uncovering Tutankhamun's tomb. Yeah. I think of sometime in 2010 as this, whatever this bright mm. line is, it's kind of the reverse burning of the library at Alexandria. Mm. It is the burning of it is the unburning of the Library of Alexandria times a thousand. If you you know if instead of having lost it all, we gained way too much, and it can't you know that can't be the future. Although it's inevitable too. So. Well, and and that is going to be the the challenge going forward. And so you uh, and you know the idea of this is something else I think about about podcasts. Right? People ask me you know what I wanted to be. When I when I grew up, right, and of course, first I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be a professor because I wanted to be like Professor Van Helsing, right? I wanted to know how to you know, fight vampires, but um, uh, but just to know stuff, and then to figure out how to talk about it. And then the joke was I wanted a radio show, right? And I still and, and these days, right. right, to say you want a radio show is a little like saying I want to learn how to play the piano forte, right? I mean, it just makes you sound so old timey. Yeah. And so podcasts are that radio show, but they are unmoored. Right, so they're not they're unmoored for you. You don't have to listen to them on a particular station. You don't have to listen to them at a particular time, but that also means then there are thousands and thousands. Buck has a lot of great data on how many podcasts make it past like seven episodes. Right, there's a there's vast number yeah, right, of podcasts, right. and then the ones that actually get um, into a certain number of episodes is to to keep it going when you the conversation could go on forever, but you have to decide to keep going. Right, you have to decide to keep inviting people on. You have to decide to keep talking about stuff. What keeps you going? Well, my l- listenership expanded really fast to uh, to the level where I I start to f- I started to feel responsible mm. um, to my audience and 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 uh, because the feedback I got was uh, people really enjoyed these conversations and and um, they had a lot to say. Mm. People would write. I mean, Ed Kaplan out of the out of the Air Force Academy is like, let me just say this about no. that, and. I get emails like that all the time. Um, but, but more than anything, I just enjoy the work. Mm-hmm. Um, I always liked sitting around cafes talking about plays I was never going to produce. And, you know, you think about all the classes you've, all, you've ever right. taught, all of, the, all of the work you've ever written. You know, that's your right. work, right? But there's no record of mm-hmm. it at all. No, your children, grandchildren, whoever, a hundred years ago will not know anything about it. You know, I don't even have a photograph of, I mean, my dad must have had girlfriends. Uh, I don't know any of them. And think about all the intimacy that happens between people that was a massive part of his life. I don't, I'll never know. But your great grandkids, assuming you have them, will be able to hear your voice speaking in real time, candidly, and they'll be able to know yeah. you. Um, and people do know me that I've never right. met. And that relationship, I think a lot of people think that it's one-sided, but it's really not. I know who right. they are. And I'm empowered by them and, and 
And when I do hear from them, it confirms that relationship. That, that's that's really, see, because I, I find that that's great that you put it that way, because the one contrast that I've heard said between podcasts and, say, conventional radio is conventional radio opens up the prospect of direct interaction with the audience, right? That you can have a call-in show, um, but and you can't, having a call-in podcast is a little harder. Um, uh, have you ever, have you ever done anything in conventional radio? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've done well in rock mm. and roll. I was on radio sure. all the time and, uh, and taking calls from people that were like, yeah, uh, your last album, uh, dur, dur, dur. um, but I've also been, uh, you know, I became a frequent guest on talk shows. I'm, uh, you know, I, I do that mm. circuit or mm. I did. And the thing about callers is they're the same people that reply to your tweets. They're 5% of the people that are paying True. attention. Yeah. Most of the people don't want to say anything. They, they go down in their mind and they're like, well, I could say this, that, and the other, but does any of that matter? No. you know. So the people that do call in or, or tweet at you, are the the five percent that uh, that typically are just trying to hear their own right. voice, right? They're not representative of your fans, and they're not representative of of the people that are engaged in your thinking. So, I don't put any particular stock in the the loudest voices, mm -hmm. and that's the problem with the internet mm -hmm. now. We think the loudest voices are representative of the voices. And they just aren't. The loudest voices are just the people that talk too loud in restaurants. Mm -hmm. They're the ones we, they are specifically the ones we should be mm -hmm. ignoring. You know, the people that reply to everything are just like the ones that we should be paying the least attention to. So, so the, you know, it's good. So you, you want somebody who replies uh, occasionally and is interesting, like going back to your, to, to, as we mentioned, Ed Kaplan one more time, but you don't want that person who feels like yeah. they have to tell you exactly what they think about everything that you say. Cause then it's like, well, get your own no. show, buddy. I mean, I've been on Twitter since 2007 and the number of times I have started an argument with somebody on Twitter, started an mm -hmm. argument is zero times. <laughs> Why would I argue with somebody but people start arguments with me all the time and so i engage in arguments because i because i have to reply but in fact i don't i don't have to reply and that's the that's the maybe the hardest lesson is like oh, no you, I, mute mute <laughs> mute mute to make those decisions but the yeah, other hard. yeah that's right in, in answer to your question long answer to your question the other show that i do with merlin mann is completely extemporaneous and we start every show with no idea what we're going to talk about. Uh, I never, I never even think about the show before we're wow. live intentionally. So every show, and that, that sounds on the face of it, uh, insane and also boring, right? Because every show starts with, Hey, how's it going? But he's a close friend and a, and a smart guy, and we launch into conversation. And in the course of it, we, and every show is an hour long, and we record every Monday. And for that hour, we follow the conversation where it takes us. Um, and it ends up, and we have a rhythm, um, but it 
it has become a show that is meaningful to people because they feel like a part of this relationship because there's a, no holds bar. Hmm. Right? Wow. As, as a practical matter, right? How do you, how do you release your podcast, right? Do you have a, do you do all production yourself or do you have a production company? Well, so the, the Roderick on the line, Merlin, uh, I think listens to it once on three times speed to make sure there's no, uh, bleeps right. or bloops. We recorded at 11 a.m. West Coast time, and he usually releases it by 1 p.m. the same really? day. So it is utterly on it. He adds the bumpers, music at the start, music at the end, and then he puts uh, he puts two or three ads in, depending on the ads we've sold. It comes right out that afternoon. Golly. Rain or shine. So zero production. Um which is, you know, and if there's a dump truck in the background, there's a dump truck in the background. Like people are capable of hearing a dump truck without losing their minds. And we do, we lose the NPR crowd that wants, you know, that wants there to be segue music between every thought. Um, the other show with, with Ken, because we're talking about facts, um, although we try to talk about facts as little as possible, we do have an editor and that editor does kind of take out uh, conversational eddies, you know, things where it's like, oh, what are we doing? We're over. We're way out in the weeds. Do you have a fixed time uh, limit for those discussions with uh, with Ken? Oh, my God. No. With Ken, those shows are often an hour and 20 minutes. Um, because we talk, we're also talking about our lives. Uh, you know, if you're talking about the, the defenestrations of Prague, uh, it may not seem on the sur- surface of it that that has much uh, applicability to your daily life. But in fact it does. He's got a couple of teenagers. I have an 11 year old girl. Um, and we just start talking about it as mm-hmm. you would, as you would someone, uh, you know, a smart person that was interested. Right. But these shows are long and we often have people that, um, back in the day when everybody was commuting mm-hmm. to work, you know, there would, there would be people that would listen to the first half of the show on the way to work. And then the other half on the way. Right. It's a little different when I've, I, I have a long commute to the war college. And so I, I consume a lot of podcasts. So now at least I have two more subscriptions. I've got to go ahead and, uh, and, and create, <laughs> but, uh, but it is a funny thing is that the, the, the times that I don't, um, I have, when my wife calls me and we talk on the phone for a long time, or I have a friend who calls and we, we get in these long conversations and whenever one of us or the other one says something outrageous or odd, we say, well, you know, if you weren't expecting that on today's podcast, were you? So it sounds like it yeah, sounds very right. much like what you do with uh, with Merlin, but um, the uh, the idea about using up that much time or figuring out the idea of human voices as something you can you can listen to while you're doing something else, but that enriches that something else. It doesn't distract. Um, it enriches, and uh, I, I want to. Uh, unfortunately, I, I want to bring this uh, put a bow on this particular conversation but uh, we could go on and on and perhaps we'll have to have you back John or um, you know I am available if you want to bring me on one of your other programs but the, oh, that's right. we'll throw idea. that out there yes. as a possibility but the um, but the really uh, the, the idea of what we think we're doing uh, when we when we when we put ideas out into the void um, you know, the, we, we started our, our meeting here talking about coming to national security seminar <clears throat> to find out what it's like to bring people together who would not always be, would not normally be together. 
to share ideas and to share information. Um, and we think about what does it mean to create new thoughts, to create new ideas, to put them out there, to cast your bread upon the waters. You don't know exactly what's going to come of it. And yet we know that it has value. Um, in a society that is always looking for uh, immediate return and tangible return, um, what do you say to people um, who ask you, you know, what's the value of just talking to people? You know, in terms of uh, my politics, mm -hmm. I would be uh, politically probably considered a, a ultra liberal mm -hmm. by most standards. But I have a lot of people who listen to me talk who are very surprised to learn that, well, I am a patriot uh, and that's not a dirty right. word. Um, I believe in American institutions and democracy. Um, and I'm capable of entertaining ideas that are not ultra liberal, uh, not just entertaining them, right. but considering them and trying to adapt them to my thinking. Yeah. Because there are often, you know, there are often times when I'm shocked by how much sympathy I have for an idea that doesn't fit into my normal canon. Right. And I don't think that that's a radical talent I have. I think it's a very normal talent. And the idea that that an idea would appeal to me, but I would reject it because it doesn't conform is, a, a, is anathema mm -hmm. to me, right? That's a, not how I was educated, and that's not my understanding of, of history, how it works. You don't reject ideas that appeal to you. I'm not talking about the ones that, that I mean, if an, if, an, if an idea disgusts you, you're, you're not obligated to sit and paw it. But ideas come over the transom all the time that if you just measure it against what orthodoxy is, you go, well, this doesn't fit. But my God, if it, if it intrigues right. you, spend a little time with it. And that's what these conversations often do. You get led into a place where you're all of a sudden having to say, well, now, wait a minute. What, we're now treading on dangerous ground. And treading on dangerous ground is where, that's where all the progress is. You don't, you don't make progress by just walking around in circles in the, inside the temple. You know, you, get, you have to get out. You have to move. And all of the orthodoxies that we're living with now, God, they couldn't be more boring to me. And I think we're living in a time um, of orthodoxy uh, everywhere, and it's dull. I think it's dull. It's dull-witted. If, if we want to discover new worlds, we have to leave the safety of the shore. So uh, We do. Well. And that happens, I think, first in conversation. Uh, you don't make policy and then talk about it. You talk about it and from that make policy. Well, John, that is a wonderful bow to put on this conversation, right? At least for this one. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for your participation in the National Security Seminar. But thanks for coming on A Better Peace to talk about all this. Hope we can have you again sometime. But uh, John Roderick, it's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Ron. It's a pleasure for me too. And I will, you know, I have a, a, a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash John Roderick, where I do one-off podcasts with interesting people. 
and uh, people across the spectrum in both senses of that word. Uh, and I would love to have you on there and we can talk, you know, uh, ad nauseum about, and on that show, you would be the featured oh, guest. So I can't say no to we'll that. get to pick your This brain. is good to know. Thanks, John. And thanks to all of you for listening in. Please send us your comments on this program and all the programs. Send us your suggestions for future programs. We're always interested in hearing from you. Please rate and review and subscribe to A Better Peace because that's how other people can find out about us. We're always interested in broadening the community for conversations like this one. And even though this conversation is over, we look forward to welcoming you to the next one. And so until next time, from the War Room, I'm Ron Granary. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.